When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Branford Marsalis performs at Strathmore in Bethesda, Maryland on Thursday night before playing Wolf Trap in Vienna, Virginia on January 26th and 27th. I spoke with the jazz icon about growing up in a musical family in New Orleans, collaborating with Spike Lee in Brooklyn, and even leading the Tonight Show Band. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Now, um, if, if our folks come out and see you either at Strathmore on January 20th or, or at Wolf Trap on January 26th, 27th, what are they going to hear? They're going to hear music they're not familiar with because most of the people that come to the concerts aren't huge jazz fans, but um, I'm glad they like us enough to come check us out. Uh, we started touring last summer uh, in uh, Europe. Last summer, and then we had a break, and then we did some concerts on the West Coast in November, and then another break, and uh, I'm doing a couple of classical projects now and when these end we have two days off and then we head out sounds great well we're excited to see you at, at all these shows um before i get too far into your career i want to thank you for when i first discovered you as a kid was at the cal ripkin streak lou Gehrig streak game wow you played the national yeah. anthem with bruce hornsby and i'll never forget when it came time for that part where you know the crowd goes oh you stopped yeah. and you gave a fist pump for the ages <laughs> memories of that night yeah well, I I'd play, I'd done, I'd played the National Anthem for an Orioles game a while earlier, and they were explaining to me, you know, that the crowd's going to say, oh, and I didn't know what they really meant. <laughs> and when they did that one, oh, I almost jumped out of my skin because I just didn't see it coming. But, but you know, by the time we did the, the, the Ripken game, I said, I told Bruce, so look, man, when we get to O at the end, the whole crowd's going to say, oh, so I knew it was coming. So that helped. Oh, it's great. And you can sort of see after the fist pump, you can sort of see you guys, you and Bruce sort of collect yourself for that final, final few notes and the crowd start. It just ramps up. It, it was, it was great stuff. So, um, all right, cool. Well, so that's my memories of you, my first memory, but, uh, for reminder, listeners, take us all the way back. You know, you're born in, in Louisiana in 1960 uh, of course your brother Winton Marsalis the whole family playing Remember memories of those early days like memories of how you got your first clarinet uh, my dad was playing with uh, this famous trumpeter from New Orleans Al Hurt who was very famous in the 50s 60s 70s and uh, Al gave Winton the trumpet and, and I was playing piano which I hated <laughs> so when we were going into uh, second grade maybe third grade no like fourth or fifth grade uh, Winton was joining the school band on the trumpet. So I said, well, I want to join the school band. And my dad said, well, I, I'm, you know, I said, what do you want to play? I said, trumpet. He goes, nope. Einstein says, you know, the same matter can't occupy the same place, to, you know, at the same time to, you know, or chaos ensues. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> what the hell? He just says, no, you're getting another instrument. How's a clarinet? And I said, great. 
anything to get me off the piano. I just, you know, beggars aren't choosers. <laughs> so the, the clarinetist with our Hertz band was a guy named Pee Wee Spidalera. So Pee Wee got me a clarinet. And uh, that's when it started. I started playing uh, in school band and youth orchestra and doing all of these things. And then when I was 14 years old, I, uh, I saw these girls uh, going to a dance and it was the first time I really took interest. And I said, oh my God, girls, they're really cute. I never noticed. And I followed them into the dance and I'm really shy. It's not like I want to talk to them. So I saw this band playing and it was that era where now all dancers, they're basically DJs. But right. when I was a kid, they were bands. And I said, I get, I'll join a band and that way I'll meet girls. So I went home and said, I want a saxophone. I want to join a band. And my dad said, well, you know, we'll see. We'll see around Christmas time. So a couple of months later, I got a saxophone and I joined the band. Ah, so Santa, actually, was, Santa was good I to you. I actually joined the band. You know, Santa was good to me. But I joined the band on piano prior to that. I joined the band and still never met any girls. They look right past me and go to the singer. I said, wow, okay. There's a recurring theme here. Uh, but yeah, I got a saxophone in December of uh, 1974. Joined the band in the fall of 74. Convinced a friend of mine to play piano and joined that band on alto saxophone. And a year later, convinced Winton to join the band. So we played with the, the band called The Creators for about three years together. Wow. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you got you got off the piano because you didn't like it. But then you got the clarinet and the sax and formed the formed the band. That's great. So then, of course, mm -hmm. you know, moving right along, you went to Berkeley College of Music. And I know you started touring Europe and you got to you know, you got to play with some really, really big heavy hitters. Art Blakey, Lionel Hampton, Clark Terry. What I guess Herbie Hancock, even Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie. I mean, uh, talk about at, at such an, a young age. I mean, I guess you're only what in like your, your early to mid 20s at that point getting to play with legends like that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I was, I was game. I was eager and uh, excited, eager to learn. And they taught me a lot. They taught me a lot and I was willing to learn it. I, I was, you know, I didn't think of it as a metaphor for like, you know, I've arrived. Uh, like even if I'd had Instagram, I wouldn't have been taking pictures of me with Dizzy Gillespie with my finger pointing at him. <laughs> which I'm really doing because I'm pointing the finger at myself saying I'm hanging with this dude, you know, that kind of, I wouldn't have done any of that, but uh, I learned a lot from those guys. It was great. And uh, they really aided me in my development as a musician. That's awesome. Um, and then, okay. And then I know in, in 85, you started some, you, well, you performed with Sting and Phil Collins at, at Live Aid at Wembley, but then you also played with Sting, um, you know, an actual um, you know, the, the dream of the blue turtles, at the, which earned a Grammy nomination, but uh, memories of, of working with Sting, that, that was a cool collab. I don't even know to this day, I don't know why he called me, um, but it was cool. I mean, he's a cool dude, you know, he's an incredibly cool dude. He's a prolific, fantastic songwriter uh, and underrated musician. Uh, it was a great musical experience. It was a great personal experience it was a great experience to basically be a, a you know kind of like a fly on the wall of a rock star because i watched a lot of things happen but they weren't happening to me but i was close enough to them to see it it was really cool to see these things ah so he called you not the other way around 
Uh, can you imagine? You think there's another way? Yo, Prince, you need a sax player, right? All that's your boy. <laughs> what are you talking about? True. I guess it only works like in that one, one the direction. Five most famous people in entertainment in the world, and it's like, yo, man, give me Sting's number, man. I want to holler at. No, that's not how that works. Yeah, it's got to work in the reverse. I'm sure. <laughs> well, that's yes, that's sir. an honor when that when your phone blows up with that number on the other end. That's awesome. Um, well, cool. And then I know shortly right after that in '86, you formed Branford Marsalis Quartet. Um, you know, would later win Grammys and all. But uh, how did how did that formation happen? Were you, when we when were you ready to be like, all right, I'm I'm forming this new this new group here? I I wasn't ready at all. But it was one of those things where my brother's band. He when Kenny Kirkland and I left to go play with Sting's band, he filled the positions with other guys. Mm. And and they started to form, I mean, another a different identity. You know, they were, you know, we were with Sting for a year and a half, and it would be ridiculous for me to come back and say, okay, well, we'll fire your guys, I'm back now. And so Kenny and I just started, we just started band, and so we hired a bass player and a drummer, and we just started playing gigs, and one thing led to another. Oh yeah, led led to so huge success for you with that quintet, um, Spike Lee. 88 cast you you know school days of course and then i know um didn't don't you also you know in that legendary opening of do the right thing public enemy fight the power isn't there a little piece of you playing the sax in the opening of that too i think so yeah not yeah, really well, sure. memories of working with spike lee on the on those well spike was a friend we lived down the street from one another and he just started asking me to do stuff but the the, the friendship was a part i valued you know i didn't you know when you're 25 years old you're not well, I don't know. The 25-year-olds I knew at that time, we weren't thinking about posterity. It was just, I had friends and my friends became famous. It wasn't like I have famous friends. Right. Terrence Blanchett is a friend of mine. Spike Lee's a friend of mine. They became famous. But, okay, cool. And that was kind of how we treated it. Spike would say, man, I want you to do this. You want to be in the movie? I'm like, you're kidding. You want me to be in your movie? Okay, if you're dumb enough to ask, I'm dumb enough to do it. <laughs> it was that it was that kind of thing. Gotcha. You know, it's not like, a, you know, it's no like one day we're going to be famous and we're going to do these things. We didn't sit around. You know, it's just, you know that's my boy. Right. And he asked Friends me to do first. And he asked me to, yeah, you know, and he asked me to play on Fight the Power. I said, okay. So then I met Hank Shockley and, you know, Chuck D and those guys, and they were gracious to me and allowed me to get in their space. And I played some notes and then they kicked me out of the studio. (laughs) (laughs) It was really pretty straightforward. Wow. Well, that's really cool. You're going to, you know, you'll be etched in, in time forever on, on those legendary movies. Um, okay. And then after that, obviously, you know, um, you know, you, you get to know Jay Leno really well, cause you become the leader of the tonight show band from, I guess what, 92 to 95, I guess. But how, how yeah. cool is that to, I mean, not only a steady gig on national television, but um, you know, it, but that, I mean, you're, you're a part of TV history with that. I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I didn't call him either. You know, because he didn't, I didn't have his number and tell him they should call me. They called me. And again, I don't know why they called me, but it was cool. I mean, one of the things that helped me realize was that, you know, I was really at heart uh, a musician. So the whole steady gig thing, that, that, that lost its luster pretty quickly for me because I really, really missed being a performer, a, music, a musician. And it was a struggle. And 
you know, I thought it was best that, you know, because Kevin Eubanks, Kevin was really cool with the stadium thing and didn't want to get back out there on the road. And it's tough out there. I don't begrudge any musician who doesn't want to deal with all of the foolishness we have to deal with out there. But, uh, I mean, Jay and the guys were great. Everybody was cool. Uh, I learned a lot in that situation. And what I mostly learned was that <coughs> at the end of the day, I'm a musician. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. So you're saying that, yeah, that you wanted to get back out per- performing and, and Kevin Eubanks was more cool with just doing the, the he liked the TV gig. So it was, he was fine. You were fine with him taking over. Uh, totally fine. It, well, it worked out well because <laughs> you got to, you know, I know you got to do Buckshot, LaFont, you got, and then, you know, you used to brand from Marsalis Cortez. Yeah, I guess uh, you won a Grammy for what, which was it? A one uh, contemporary jazz. What, what was it like? Was that the first time you'd ever actually won the Grammys? I know you'd been there before, but was that the first time they called your name? You got to go up? I don't know. Um, I have no idea. Uh, I don't think. No, uh, we won a Grammy for uh, a record called I Heard You Twice the First Time. Because yeah. I, I didn't know about it. And Jay brought it out and said, hey, Brand, look what I got. You just won a Grammy. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so that was the first time. And, oh, uh, Leno brought it out on the Tonight Show and gave it showed you. Yeah, or, or it's made an announcement. I think it was more that I just heard they just made an announcement. You won the Grammy, and I went, "Oh, great!" <laughs> I can hear it in your voice, man. There's a, like a lot of artists. So whenever I ask the whole, you know, what did you win the award for? Most artists are like, eh, "I don't really care about that stuff. I just want to do the music." Is that is that accurate for you? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care at all. Well, either way, I do want to bring up your Tony nomination for August Wilson's Fences because it did allow you to start to work on, you know, it's another medium. You've done film with Spike, wow. obviously you've done music, and then you got to do some th- some Broadway, some theater there. So uh, any memories of, of not necessarily getting the Tony nod, because again, I know you don't care, but but working on the project for well, August Wilson's is, is one of the great legends ever. Well, you know, it's what I learned was I wrote a lot of music after reading the script and the director rejected it, said, you haven't seen the play yet. So I, and I was in the middle of a tour. So when I had a day off, I came to New York and I watched uh, Denzel and Viola Davis and uh, I can't remember Stephen's last name, you know, all the guys, Rocky Carroll, and they all did the play. And, uh, you know, I was reduced to tears by the end of it. And I realized that most of the music that I I wrote was inappropriate for the play because I was writing music to, 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 to my energy, how the play moved me. I wasn't writing it to the energy of the actors and how it moved them. And I said, well, that's a mistake. I'll never learn my lesson. I'll never do that again. Uh, it was a great learning experience for me. It was great. And uh, the Tony nod was completely not expected. I mean, I didn't expect the Tony not for writing incidental music. I mean, you got guys and gals who are writing whole musicals, you know, eight, nine, ten songs with singers and incidental music. I mean, I just wrote incidental music, so I was kind of shocked by it, but honored, you know, honored. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. And little did you know that Viola would go on to, you know, win an Oscar in the movie version. And Denzel should have won too, if you asked me. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of cool. You got to work with that whole bunch, uh, like years before that on Broadway. Um, well, cool. And then um, in terms of just wrapping it up in terms of like, you know, 
the accolades, the hardware, if you will. I know it must have been kind of cool in, in 2011 to get that NEA Jazz Master Award because you got to share it with your your dad and brothers, right? Like, is, is that always more rewarding? You know, you, you get to, it was like a family award. <laughs> yeah, we don't care, uh, to be honest. I mean, the, 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 the guy, because every time you win a Jazz Honor, a Jazz Master's Award, it comes with a $25,000 honorary. But because it was the family, my dad got the honorary. <laughs> so I turned to the guy who runs it and said, that's all cool, but when am I going to get my honorarium? And his answer was a chuckle. And I said, oh, I'm not getting one. Great, thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> everybody else that gets the Jazz Masters Award gets a nice check to go with it, except me and my brothers. That sucks. <laughs> you know? But, yeah. But, but I was happy for my dad. Because, uh, you know, my dad lived in New Orleans and spent his life there. And if he didn't, if he had moved to New York, we probably wouldn't exist. And, you know, he taught school and he stayed there. So I think that, uh, I think it was, it was, it was great for him. I think he was really, because he, you know, like a lot of the other jazz masters who all came to the event were people that he, contemporaries of his and people he grew up with, you know, George Benson and Jimmy Heath and, you know, a lot of other guys that were there, Herbie Hancock. And so he, it was, it, he was in heaven just being around his peers and his mentors. <clears throat> so I was happy for him. Yeah. Well, I know, uh, you know, speaking of, of your dad, Ellis, um, I know you lost him. He, he passed away, what, like in 2020, just a couple years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Just April 1st. Wow. I mean, just, I mean, that's, a, I think that's a good way we can kind of wrap it up. Just, just, uh, you know, mem memories of, of him and, and just, you know, how, how grateful you are that, that, you know, he started this whole, you know, Winton, you, Jason, uh, how do you say it? Delphio? Yeah. Delphio. Just what, just, you know, what, what he did for all, all of you guys. I mean, you know, New Orleans is a great city to learn how to play music. And I think what he did for all of us really was gave us uh, critical thinking skills. I think that's the thing that I'm most grateful for is that when I'm listening to music, my thought process is uh, very different than a lot of my colleagues. And I owe that to him. And he would, you know, his, his living with him was like living with Socrates, you know, it's like you, you, if you play something or you're playing sports and you take a shot and you say, how was that dad? Most dads say, that was great. And he would say, well, how do you think it was? <laughs> I'm asking you. No, well, seriously, you know, what did you think about it? And at first, I'm like, man, this, this sucks. You know, as a kid, I'm looking back saying, yes. but then, you know, after a while, you start to develop answers. And then he would say, hmm, okay, maybe what about this? Think about this. So by the time I was a teenager, uh, while I wasn't a good musician, I had the ability to uh, ascertain what was wrong with my playing. And then the next question was, you know, given what I wanted to do, which was play in an R&B band, did I really feel it was worth all of the effort to fix it? And more often than not, in my young years, the answer was no. So I was always pretty satisfied. Like Winton was practicing, he wanted to play classical music. He went to Juilliard, he had a full scholarship. He was probably the best, one of the best trumpet players in the world by the time he was 20. And I was proud of him for all of that because I didn't have 
any aspirations to do any of that. And it was very ironic that when I turned 40, I started practicing classical music again. And now I'm doing some stuff that Wendy had done 25 years prior. So I have a template with how to approach it and how to do it. And it's really made my saxophone playing better and my jazz playing better and all sorts of things. So uh, my dad was instrumental in, in us developing that. It wasn't kind of like the Von Trapp family where we all sang scales together and, you know, it wasn't that kind of thing. It was more about he had conversations with us <clears throat> on a consistent basis and he really did mold us into being critical thinkers. And, uh, you know, my, my, my friends, some of my friends from high school will come over to have dinner with us sometimes and they say, man, I don't, I don't even want to, I can't even participate in the conversations. <laughs> it was just like that kind of you know, it, it, was, it was fun growing up there. We took it for granted. We thought everybody's house was like that, but we're lucky. Oh, well, you kidding me? We're, we're all the lucky ones, you know, getting to hear the music over the years. And um, yeah, I mean, there's there's few few names, you know, last names synonymous with with a certain genre or whatever. But, you know, when you say jazz and Marsalis is, is one of them, uh, it, it's it's fantastic. So um, we really appreciate you joining us. And uh, just remind everyone again, uh, Bramford Marsalis is going to be playing uh, first at uh, January 20th at the Strathmore and then a couple of gigs at Wolf Trap on January 26th and 27th. So get your tickets now hey Branford, thanks so much for doing this i really really appreciate it oh, it was a pleasure definitely jason take care of yourself you too can we can we end with a, a orioles fist pump on the on the o we can't see you do it but you know i'll, I'll pretend you're doing okay it. wait i'm doing it right now oh <laughs> thanks i appreciate it talk to you later Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.